This episode of Post Reports is brought to you by AT&T Business. Get ready for the next leap in wireless technology with AT&T 5G. From the newsroom of The Washington Post. Hi there, is the mayor in? Marissa Lang with The Washington Post. Hey, it's Dossie. I wanted to pick your brain on the truck. Hi, my name's Jenna Johnson. I'm- this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Monday, March 2nd. Today, the primaries, caucuses, and existential debates that will make up this year's Super Tuesday. So Super Tuesday is finally here. That's 1,357 pledged delegates up for grabs, a third of all the delegates in the Democratic presidential primary. But the thing is that the way that we talk about Super Tuesday, it's almost like we talk about it like it's the Super Bowl, like it's this one big event that happens on a Tuesday. But in fact, Super Tuesday is 16 different primaries and caucuses with 16 very different points of view. And we wanted to know, what makes every one of these primaries and caucuses different or special? And for the purposes of this conversation, we're just going to talk about Democratic primaries because Republican primaries, though they're happening, there's not really a serious challenger to President Trump. So we decided to do something different today. 16 different stories in one episode, all about this one day that could dictate the future of American politics. And we're starting, of course, with New Zealand. The first people to cast votes for presidential hopefuls on Super Tuesday are actually, surprise, not in the United States, but in New Zealand. This is London correspondent Carla Adam, and she's talking about the Democrats Abroad presidential primary, which begins on Tuesday with 13 pledged delegates up for grabs. People will be casting votes in something called the global primary. This is a primary for Americans living abroad. Because of time zone differences, those in New Zealand will be the first to vote. Um, last time it was done at a bar in Wellington. Uh, and in that case, one of the ballots was spoiled, uh, which is perhaps not too surprising given the setting. Organizers stress that if you live abroad and you're deciding between voting abroad in the global primary or in your home state, and you do have to choose one or another, your vote has more weight abroad. Especially, you know, so if you're from a populated state like California, your vote will have much more weight abroad because you're one of tens of thousands and not one of millions. There are over 200 voting centers around the world. And even though you can vote remotely, It's lots of fun for many people to come into a voting station, to mix with people. There's sort of a real atmosphere and and a sort of special vibe about these um, voting stations. And and it can be really fun, you know, a lot of fun for Americans who may not have had that voting experience for four years. Back in the actual U.S., there are several states that are doing things a little differently on Super Tuesday, like California the land of 415 pledged delegates, and also the home state of producer Rena Flores. 
Well, today, Californians, they can begin casting their votes in the June 7th. For the last two presidential elections, California's primary has actually been one of the last in the cycle. Almost dead last. But this year, it's on Super Tuesday. For 2020, the state will move up its primary to March 3rd. And it was all thanks to... Ricardo Lara. This guy. From the California Insurance Commissioner. Back in 2017, when Ricardo was a state senator... He served in the California State Senate. He authored this bill... The Primetime Primary Act. Candidates would come to California, just use this as an ATM, and wouldn't spend money here, wouldn't engage California voters, and we clearly know that that has changed. Did you have a certain sort of light bulb moment about California's place in the primary process? Was there like one moment where you were like, oh, this definitely should have happened months ago? Absolutely. You know, there was a couple moments when they're bringing drugs during the campaigns of President Trump. They're bringing crime, attacking families like mine. They're rapists. And then listening to Democrats talk about they should be sent back border security as soon as it can be determined, but not really understanding the border and the economic juggernaut that that is. Open borders? That's a Koch brothers proposal. These are issues that are important to me personally, having both my parents come as undocumented immigrants. So it was those kind of moments that I figured we need to insert ourselves in the discussion much earlier than waiting till June when the presumptive candidates were already selected for us. So are you looking forward to Super Tuesday? I am looking forward to Super Martes like nobody's business. Then there are the states that will be switching from a caucus to a primary, like Maine with 24 delegates and Utah with 29, both of which had experiences in 2016 that made them acutely aware of the drawbacks of the caucus system. That's why I was interested in Maine. They got rid of their caucuses altogether after 2016. And on Tuesday, they'll be voting using the primary system. That's producer Ariel Plotnick. So I talked to Maine Senate President Troy Jackson. In 2016, they had record turnout on caucus day. But in high population areas like Portland... You know, they were there, but they weren't able to actually get in the room because of such long lines and it was wet. Uh, rainy, you know, snowy, and, you know, people were cold and miserable and upset that, you know, they weren't able to get in. People felt disenfranchised, not being able to vote, going home because the lines were just too long. Plus, all the steps of the caucus process, how long it took, it just discouraged people. You know, we just had people that didn't really understand the caucus system. Uh, they were more in tune to going in on a Tuesday with something that was run by the state for a primary. So Maine decided to go back to basics. Come in on a Tuesday, submit your vote, and leave. Jackson says he might miss the excitement of caucuses, but he'll sleep better knowing everyone will be able to get inside to vote. People will have uh, the opportunity to go in and vote at their leisure, uh, and, you know, not be cold and wet and not have to wait. Uh, you know, I mean, that, that's a recipe for drive people away from voting every single day of the week, uh, especially in March in Maine. This is the first Super Tuesday that Utah will participate in. 
name is Lee Davidson. I'm a political reporter for the Salt Lake Tribune, and I am talking to you from the newsroom of the Salt Lake Tribune. Four years ago, we had a caucus here that had huge turnout, but a huge mess because parties ran out of ballots. It was a caucus, so they could only vote in an hour or two window in the evening. A lot of people couldn't get in the schools where it was held. There were lines going down the block, and many people couldn't cast ballots and were, were upset. The Republican Party that year was trying to use an online voting method that crashed, and so politicians decided it's time for the state to run it as a state-run election. So the state switched to a primary this year. Utah's unusual, 45% of registered voters are Republicans. The second largest group, 37%, are unaffiliated voters. Of course, Utah is known as the headquarters of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons. And I'm a Mormon, and when I grew up, uh, you would hear people say that it's not necessarily good to vote for one party or another. You should just vote for the best candidate of whichever party that is. And that kind of led to a tradition of a lot of people being unaffiliated. Still, the vast majority of them vote heavily Republican. Being a political minority in a Republican state is also the case for Democrats in Arkansas, which has 31 delegates. So when I was skimming through some local TV news out of Little Rock, I kept hearing a lot of this. We have seen Mike Bloomberg spend a lot of money on television advertising here in the state. No other candidates really invested much time in Arkansas. Arkansas is a state that feels like sometimes it's not been paid attention to. So I checked this out, and it actually rings a little true. Before this past weekend, basically only Michael Bloomberg and Amy Klobuchar had visited the state. Democratic candidates and super PACs have actually spent less in TV ad dollars in Arkansas than in a state like Utah. And Utah has fewer delegates. Hello? So I talked to a Democrat in the state, Joyce Lee, to find out what gives. Hi, Senator. Yes, how are you? Good, good. How are you? I am doing very well. Joyce is a state senator, and she's actually running for Congress in Arkansas's second congressional district. That's a district that includes Little Rock. It seems that Arkansas is in this weird place of not being deep south, not being quite Midwestern as some people think about it. The senator says it's partly this quirk of geography. But because we do get painted as just Southern... I think people miss the point that we're the last state to turn red in the South, as a matter of fact. And that it's partly a demographics issue. When people think of the South, they think of Southern states as having huge black populations. That's not true, of course, with us, because right next to uh, Mississippi and Louisiana, Mississippi has about a 40 percent African-American population. We are about... 16.5% African-Americans. But Joyce doesn't think all of that means Arkansas is some hopelessly red state. As late as 2006, 78 out of 100 of our legislators were Democrats. We don't anticipate remaining red very long because it is not a deep, deep red. Ultimately, she doesn't want the National Party to forget. They really need to get to know who we are. There are Democrats in Arkansas, too. It's a very different picture from what people have in their minds. 31 delegates worth of them. Thank you so much. Take care. Goodbye. One of the things that makes Super Tuesday so special is the sheer ideological diversity of the Democrats who are voting on this one day and the things that they care about, like in Colorado, which has 67 delegates. 
This is sort of an amazing thing that we get to say, but climate change might be the top issue for us in the upcoming primary on Super Tuesday. I'd say in Colorado, we're seeing the pine beetle and floods and droughts and, you know, water is a big thing here. They really don't focus very much on climate change, and I wish they would. It should have been a priority in the past presidential elections as well. I think I would want to see something achievable and also that would be impactful. It's been sort of vague, like, of what the actual concept I think our future hangs on it. I'm Sam Brash, and I cover climate politics for Colorado Public Radio. My newsroom has also been working to survey and talk to voters ahead of the election as well. And we found that, like, more than any other issue, more than health care, more than the economy, people have told us that they want a candidate who conforms with their views on climate change. What's interesting is when I talk to some of these voters, they pretty much all agree that they want a candidate with a plan that's both impactful and realistic. I think that's where it gets complicated for a candidate like Bernie Sanders. He's leading in polls here, but his climate plan is really expensive, $16.3 trillion, and it includes a fracking ban. And fracking is a huge issue out here in Colorado. A ballot initiative to limit the practice actually failed in 2018. So I think where all that leaves us is that we know climate change is a bigger and bigger issue. What we don't know is whether that necessarily benefits progressive candidates. Super Tuesday also includes states like Virginia, with 99 delegates. It's a state that's in somewhat of a political transition. Why are we here since there was just a day or so ago, bait should have cleared everything up and given us someone to rally around? This is just a really interesting time in Virginia in general because it's it's gone through a pretty um, significant shift to the left. Antonio Olivo covers Virginia government and politics for The Post. And even though it is a moderate state, there are deep currents of kind of progressive politics that are emerging from the suburbs. In the current state legislative session, bills that would not have gained any traction in previous years are now gaining traction. And we're talking about gun control, getting undocumented immigrants licenses to drive is something that, you know, was unthinkable maybe five to ten years ago in the state. So this is a state that is still basking in a string of Democratic victories that have happened in the past few years. But the thing is, is that a lot of that energy is moderate center-left Democratic energy. And in that portion of the electorate, there is deep uncertainty over who to pick. A lot of those folks, and mainly in affluent suburban neighborhoods, don't want Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders is gaining a lot of traction with younger voters and in some of the more liberal pockets that are nearer to Washington, D.C., But out in places like Leesburg or Prince William County and sort of the more far-flung suburbs, there's fear over what a Sanders nomination would mean. Mike Bloomberg has poured a lot of money into the state. You can't turn on a television set in Virginia without seeing a Mike Bloomberg ad or see his mailers in your mailbox. Elizabeth Warren, who has been in the state frequently and was pretty instrumental in helping some Democrats get elected last year, is gaining some ground there. So there is a lot of energy there, but still no clear 
alternative choices has emerged to Bernie Sanders. And so there's deep consternation occurring there. What happens in Alabama tomorrow on Super Tuesday really matters for larger reasons. Uh, the principal one being that Alabama has the most vulnerable Democrat in the Senate right now. That's reporter David Montgomery, who's been reporting from Alabama, which gets 52 delegates. Doug Jones won his seat to the Senate in a special election at the end of 2017 against former Judge Roy Moore. Roy Moore was a very controversial candidate, and the theory is that a Democrat could never have won in Alabama without that extra dynamic going on in the race. Doug Jones, as it stands, has a very difficult path to holding on to his seat. Jeff Sessions, the former attorney general, is trying to make a comeback and reclaim his seat in the Senate. And he's almost going out of his way to maintain that he is the most loyal Trump person that they could choose. Which... It's just wild. <laughs> yes. That's the huge irony in Alabama today. For Doug Jones, there's a theory that I think is true that his path would be somewhat easier if the Democratic presidential nominee is a moderate, for example, a Joe Biden. And I think it's worth noting that literally two hours after Joe Biden announced his candidacy, Doug Jones endorsed him. If a Bernie Sanders or an Elizabeth Warren is at the top of the ticket, um, advancing some version of Medicare for all, Doug Jones might find himself in a um, trickier rhetorical position having to thread a needle on the campaign trail. But whoever is the Democratic nominee for president in November will have a large impact on how well Doug Jones can expect to do in trying to be reelected to the Senate and for the Republicans to hold on to the Senate. As we were thinking about the states that vote in Super Tuesday, we were thinking about what it's been like for some of these states that have suddenly found themselves targeted by presidential campaigning in a very specific way, like Oklahoma with 37 delegates, one of the places where Mike Bloomberg is courting black voters. From producer Alexis Dio. Good afternoon and welcome to the Greenwood Cultural Center right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. In Tulsa, the site of the brutal Black Wall Street Massacre of 1921. Now, please join me in giving a warm Greenwood welcome to the next president of the United States, Mike Bloomberg. Mayor Mike Bloomberg, who has been forced to answer to his stop-and-frisk policy that targeted mostly Black and Latino young men, made a plea for Black support, basically by checking his privilege. As someone who has been very lucky in life, I often say my story would only have been possible in America, and I think that's true. But I also know that my story would have turned out very differently if I had been black. Democrats know that the path to the nomination is paved with the support of black voters. And latecomer Bloomberg says if he's president, he'll make up for the losses that started with the Tulsa massacre. The strategy we're announcing today is comprehensive and inclusive, and it has three big goals. One, we will help a million more black families buy a house to counteract the effects of redlining and the subprime mortgage crisis. 
two, we will double the number of black-owned businesses, which right now are far too few. And three, we will help black families triple their wealth over the next 10 years to an all-time high. The black vote for a long time has been seen as committed to Joe Biden, but the latest polls show that that voting bloc is up for grabs. Polling in Oklahoma currently shows a tight three-way race between Biden, Bloomberg, and Sanders. And in Minnesota, a state with 75 delegates, voters there are seeing Super Tuesday ads that are specifically targeted to them. So producer Bishop Sand wanted to know what it sounds like if you live there. Welcome back. With Minnesota's presidential primary just a few weeks away, you're about to see a serious ramp up in political advertising. And not just on TV, we're talking all platforms. This part of the country, the so-called Rust Belt, was gutted by corporate decisions over the course of the last 50 years. Meanwhile, we'll go live to Devon Raming, who went to find some answers about why the roads were so bad. Well, yeah, guys, you know, many... Termination. It's the way Mike will get it done. The number of uninsured Americans, rising. The cost of prescription drugs, rising. The threat to people with pre-existing conditions, rising. How is social playing a big role in this year's campaigns? (laughs) Every other ad is perhaps going to be a candidate trying to sway your vote. We have a president who thinks everything is about him. But I think the job is about you. Your health care. Snow showers. Uh, don't be surprised if you see those around noon. I'm Mike Bloomberg, and I approve. Now to a scary incident near the U of M in Dinkytown this morning. A kidnapping attempt. While so you've led, what you've done, and what you'll never stop working. He's done working. everything he can for the wealthy and well-connected. Mike Bloomberg's never been It's time to turn the page from a Washington president to work for you. And Mike's won them. Come at five, what you need to know about your personal information before heading to the primary polls. Then the two reasons why wine is getting the spotlight today. We also wanted to talk to voters in some of the states that will be holding their primary on Tuesday. And in two of those states, voters will be deciding on whether to elect their own senator for president. Of course, that's the case in Bernie Sanders' home state, Vermont, which gets 16 delegates. Senior producer Maggie Penman talked to one voter there. My name is Lee Van Winkle, and I live in Underhill, Vermont. Have you voted for Bernie Sanders in the past? I voted for Bernie as a senator. Multiple times or just once? Probably multiple times, because he was the only one running. And yet, Lee is not planning to vote for Bernie Sanders on Tuesday. Okay, so talk to me about why you support Bloomberg for president. I think Bernie has been really good for Vermont, But I also think Bernie has done stuff that has hurt us. We're a small state. Our taxes are quite high. And our youth are leaving the state because they can't find jobs. I would like a candidate who supports the growth of jobs. (laughs) It's interesting to me because Bernie Sanders and Mike Bloomberg seem like really different candidates. And they're they're sort of... Yeah, they sort of seem like they're on the opposite ends of a political spectrum within the Democratic Party or even maybe outside of the Democratic Party. (laughs) Neither one of them are really Democrats, are they? 
No. <laughs> Bloomberg was a Republican and Bernie has always been an independent. So that's why I'm so curious why you've decided as someone who's supported Bernie for the Senate to support Bloomberg. Because I don't want Bernie as president. I don't think he'll get elected. I think he won't be effective. I think that he won't get anything done. I think Mike Bloomberg has proven that he can work both sides of the fence and get things done. With or without Lee Van Winkle's vote, Bernie Sanders is expected to win Vermont on Tuesday. And frankly, Bernie's ego is huge. (laughs) (laughs) What makes you say that? But I know him. Like she said, it's a small state. Massachusetts has 91 delegates, and because it's the home turf of Senator Elizabeth Warren, everyone thought that it would swing for her. But now it seems like Bernie Sanders is giving her a run for her money there. I don't, quite frankly, and I hope I don't blow their strategy, I don't think they're actually running against each other. I think they've got a secret strategy. I think they're actually running together. They're just not telling anybody. That's a hot take, Carol. Paris Alston is a journalist in Boston, and she went to a debate watch party to ask Warren supporters what's on their minds. No, I I, I actually, I've believed that for a long time. They're actually bunnying, but she can't look too much uh, as if she's not running against him and vice versa, because then it's going to blow their whole strategy. I'll I'll take, I'll bet my grocery money on this. I hear a lot of people on that stage that say, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to do this. And Elizabeth, from day one, everything that she has is backed up by a plan. And you can go on her website, you can see everything through that. And it's easier for me if someone to say, here's someone who's thought it out. Here's someone who says, this is exactly how I'm going to get done. And it's not just rhetoric on a stage. For me, it's mostly immigration policy. Um, I think in all of these debates, all of the candidates have been asked whether or not they support DACA and the DREAM Act. And they've all said yes, but that's an easy ball question. What I've been waiting for them to talk about is what is their plan for the 11 million undocumented immigrants that are in this country? Our parents, our grandparents, the original dreamers who came to this country decades ago to give us an opportunity. So that's really what's at stake for me is my own livelihood um, because I'm a DACA recipient, but also the livelihood of my community abroad um, because I have friends who have to worry about their parents driving them to school and being at risk of deportation during that drive. And I don't want that for them, and I don't want that for anybody. So I want to hear from a candidate who has a plan for that. I think Elizabeth Warren is that candidate because when my mother and I um, stood in line to take a selfie with her, um, my mom, being a mom, asked, what about DACA recipients? Because my mom cares about me. And Elizabeth Warren responded, we have a plan not just for them, but for all the 11 million documented immigrants. And that, to me, showed incredible compassion, but also someone who's well-informed and someone who has a plan. The voters that Paris Alston spoke to in Massachusetts were Carol Parker, Ryan Pierce, and Daniela Vieira. Producer Lena Muhammad talked to a voter in Texas, where 228 delegates are up for grabs. And there's this big question about who will win the Latino vote. Polls show Sanders currently leading among Latinos. My name is Beatriz Ugarte Cano. I am 61 years old and I live in Rowlett, Texas. Oh, I, I feel 
I feel very excited. That's because she voted for the first time ever in this election. How long have you been in the United States? Uh, this year it will be 20 years. Hmm. And when did you become a citizen? Uh, just last year. I mean, it took like the immigration um, the immigration uh, policies are, are very slow. Beatrice is a Mexican-American immigrant. She came to the U.S. with a work permit, but it took her almost 12 years to get her green card. And who did you vote for? I voted for Bernie Sanders. And when I asked her why? Because he has a very social democrat agenda. Healthcare, more equality in the wages, the taxation on big companies, the weapons, and I agree to have a better control on those. But ultimately, she says, as a Latina woman and an immigrant herself, immigration policies are a big concern for her. Because, you know, uh, here I, I have noticed with my profession that I'm accountant, I know many people, they don't have documents legally to work. But they are very hardworking people. They even have business. They... They are. They have employees. They pay their taxes, and we are people that we come here to make this country more more successful, you know. And and it's it will be fair that they could get their their documents just to leave, to travel, to be here with confidence, with with peace. This episode of Post Reports is brought to you by AT&T Business. You know, one of the golden rules in the salon or one of the things that we learn is not to talk politics or religion because, you know, everybody has different points of view. That's Takesha Barry Brooks. She owns a hair salon in Memphis where she works with stylists Roshana Jackson and Brianna Crane. They joined us on the phone to share what they're hearing about politics from clients and their larger community, which isn't too much today. They may mention things that stick out, such as impeachment or whatever, but they don't really go into detail about, I guess, each candidate that's running for president right now. So I think the election in 2008 was huge, and I think it was huge for the African-American community. And it was very well talked about then. It was unprecedented uh, during that time to even see what we saw, to witness and to be able to live through that particular era. It was huge during that particular time frame. And I don't know, we just don't talk about it. We don't, we're not paying attention to this particular era at this particular moment. I think the main thing that Barack Obama did that was much different from what people are doing now is that he was really relatable. Yeah. And not just for black people, but for young people. You know, he, he, he was a jokester. He was, um, it's like he's easy to talk to. The words that he used were understandable. They see, oh, it's a black man who loves his family. He is the head of his household. He's funny. He's in power. When they see all of those, all of that put together, then just in wanting to relate, promised a grander future with Barack Obama just by wanting to relate to him. They have some advice for Democrats trying to win over diverse communities like Memphis. Stop in at their hair salon, a natural affair, or just show up and be present. 
That was Post Reports producer Renny Svernovsky talking to three voters in Tennessee, which gets 64 delegates. Producer Jordan Marie Smith called up North Carolina, a state that gets 110 delegates, to hear from one voter in particular. Hello? Hello, Mom. It's your daughter. Hi. How are you? I'm good. That's actually me doing what I do almost every day. Call my mom. I'm Medina Collins. I live in Greenville, North Carolina, and I am 52 years old. You excited to do this? Yes, I am. (laughs) I guess I am. Now, just an FYI, even though my mom is a black woman, that doesn't mean she represents other black women. That being said, she is voting for someone a lot of older black Americans plan to vote for. I plan to vote for Biden. According to the UMass Lowell poll from February 18th, Joe Biden is polling third in North Carolina, right behind Bernie Sanders and Mike Bloomberg. I believe that Biden has the experience to work across party lines. And I have always looked at Biden as a no-nonsense, straightforward type of person, open-minded and willing to work with all banners of individuals. So it is primarily friends who are closer to my age are supporters of Biden. And those younger, they tend to support Sanders. I pretty much don't support Sanders because it's like he's the fairy godfather of, you know, I'm going to give you free this, free that, free tuition. It's almost like Oprah saying, Everybody gets a car, and it's for free. It is my hope that no matter the outcome, that for North Carolinians, we can come together, work together, regardless of who is in the White House. Well, thank you, Mom. That was so good. I don't think it was. I kind of got nervous because I knew I was talking, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Recent polling shows Biden just slightly ahead of Bernie Sanders in North Carolina. So those were the 14 states voting in the Democratic primary on Super Tuesday. But there is still one more thing. Hi, um, my name's Maggie Penman. I'm calling from The Washington Post. Uh Is this the Democratic Party of American Samoa? Uh, yes, it is. The American Samoan Islands also vote on Super Tuesday for six delegates. American Samoa is uh, about 2,500 miles uh, southwest of Hawaii. We're uh, south of the equator. We're uh, U.S. territory. Um, it's uh, currently summer here. For the most part, people are very politically active because a lot of the decisions that are made uh, at a federal level impact us. So we got to mm-hmm. definitely make sure we have our voice. And this is really our only opportunity to actually have a voice in uh Uh, the presidential election itself, uh, since we don't vote for president here. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Tune in for analysis of the Super Tuesday results later this week. And check out the Election 2020 podcast feed for all the election updates from Washington Post podcasts. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. 
This episode of Post Reports is brought to you by AT&T Business. Get ready for the next leap in wireless technology with AT&T 5G.